I'm Jason Lewis. And I'm Todd Deshida. And I'm Thomas Mills. Welcome to Climate Optimus. As a couple concerned citizens, we're on a journey to explore climate solutions and ways each of us can make a difference. And speaking of making a difference, while most podcasts are funded through sponsors or ad revenue, we at Climate Optimus rely heavily on our listener donations to bring you the programming we hear each week. So if you are a regular listener and like what you hear from us, consider a donation that aligns with that value. All you have to do is head to our website, climateoptimist.co, and click the donate button. I, I promise it's easy. So for most people, it's probably not a shocker to learn that Exxon and Chevron top the list of companies who do the most to obstruct climate action. However, it might come as a surprise to hear that Toyota ranks third behind those two oil giants. And why is Toyota spending money to block action while other automakers are, you know, moving to fully electric fleet? We think it's a great question and one we thought we would spend a short episode exploring. So I wasn't aware of Toyota being a climate obstructionist until really this last year. There's a great UK-based nonprofit called Influence Map that is focused on exposing companies and, and interest groups that are obstructing climate action. And it was their report that that I read and, and saw Toyota was number three on the list of companies that are doing the most to obstruct climate policy. Yeah, I mean, this one really had me baffled because when I think of Toyota, and I think this is probably true for a lot of people, I think of, you know, the Toyota Prius. Right. And was really like in some ways, kind of like a really big step toward environmentalism and fuel economy. And so when this story came out, I was like, why would Toyota, you know, of all companies be in this category? Right. And Thomas, I know you have an interesting you know, perspective on some of the history here. You know, Australia is kind of even tied up in this story in some ways. And I was just wondering if you could, you know, give us some of the history with Toyota in Japan, you know, in general. Yeah, I, I think it's it's one of those situations where it's sort of a, a multifaceted root cause that brought them to their position that they're at today. And a lot of it goes back to, I think, the Fukushima disaster in 2011 uh, and the fact that the support mm. for nuclear power in Japan has really waned since then, of course. And although Japan mm -hmm. has a relatively low CO2 emission per kilowatt hour for their electricity. Any new electricity that's been added to the grid in Japan is typically done through fossil fuels now. They've got 22 coal-fired power stations either under construction or planned uh, to be constructed in the near future. So any new electricity demand you add to that grid results in significant CO2 emissions. And it's the same thing with their position on hydrogen. They've been very supportive of hydrogen for a long time. And that is because partially because the Japanese are sort of the world leaders in manufacturing fuel cells, be it hydrogen or natural gas-based fuel cells. And they want to import that hydrogen from other sources. And the CO2 emissions for the mm. production of that hydrogen, if it is made from black and brown hydrogen sources, i.e. from like coal and gas, that counts against the nation from which they import it. The combustion or you know, running that hydrogen through a fuel cell in, in, within Japan doesn't count against them. So they've been heavily invested because of their specific geopolitical situation in either 
hybrid internal combustion engine vehicles or hydrogen fuel cells. And there hasn't been a big demand for battery electric in Japan. And they've kind of tried to force that on the rest of the world when that is not the case in the rest of the world. The rest of the world is far more suited to battery electric. Interesting. So in a way, Thomas, it's like Japan made this, you know, they had Fukushima, they went a different direction, you know, moved away from nuclear. They invested heavily in, you know, hybrid technology and in fuel cells, you know, and fuel cells that consume hydrogen. And so it all kind of funneled together into their solution being, hey, let's run our economy on on hydrogen and and unfortunately produce that hydrogen at least today from, you know, from coal and, and, you know, natural gas that's being, that's emitting a ton of carbon up into the atmosphere. So while hydrogen can get, you know, credit for being clean when it, when it burns, just, you know, being watered out the tailpipe, you're still in the meantime, putting all this carbon dioxide up into the atmosphere to create it. Yeah. I I think the other thing too, to keep in mind is that it's, it's really difficult for Japan to manufacture or produce renewable energy, unlike you know the US and Australia, where we have ample roof area for solar panels, and we've got you know wide open spaces for wind turbines, and even you know shallow waters offshore for offshore wind turbines. Japan doesn't have that luxury, and so it makes it really difficult for them if they're going to move away from nuclear power to go well look let's pivot towards renewables it just it's very very hard situation for them and geopolitically doesn't really suit them to drop a cable in the sea and run it across to china because they're frightened that china could flick the switch off at any time so it kind of seems like it's not really that toyota is really that anti-ev it's just they're very pro-hydrogen fuel cell (laughs) i mean that's the way i look at it because they've like They've thrown so much, so many of their eggs in that basket. I think the hydrogen thing is really cool. But when you look at it for autos, it's not that efficient in comparison to, to battery. It's terrible. I think there's some some pluses on it, like the, the refueling time. I think you can refuel in about the same time you can refuel a gasoline car, right? Yeah, if, if you had some way to refuel. Well, that's the problem, yeah, right? There's, there's, no, there's no way to refuel these things. <laughs> and those stations are, they're outrageous to build. These stations, it's not just like tapping a charger into the already available electric grid. Well, and let's be clear. I mean, it's it's unfortunate that Japan made these technological decisions and we're hoping to export that to the rest of the world. But, you know, it's obviously completely unacceptable for a corporation to be trying to get in the way of these solutions that we so desperately need purely because they want to keep their shareholders happy. It's not to let other automakers off the hook because there are others out there, but but Toyota is absolutely the worst of the worst when it comes to climate policy, and they've just continued to kind of drag their feet. And at some point, they'll be forced to make the shift. But I, I guess that's where I feel like as you know, consumers, we have the opportunity to exert some pressure and hopefully help them make the shift sooner. And I, I think that shift has begun with within Toyota. I mean, you look at the Toyota Mariah sales, the, the Toyota Mariah has, is a fuel cell vehicle. It's been on sale for quite some time in the US now. Um, just looking from January to May this year, they've sold 1,100 of them. Tesla has sold 179,000 electric vehicles in the same time in the US. So it's just, <laughs> they, they just haven't gained any traction with hydrogen fuel cells. And so they've pivoted towards now making full battery electric. And they released recently the uh, BZ4X in the US for sale. But they've also just announced a recall on every single one of them because literally the wheels are falling off the vehicle. Yeah. Well, you know, 
this hydrogen thing is really interesting to me all, all around. And I know there's a lot of other applications, obviously, besides cars. It'd be cool. And I know you, you've got a lot of knowledge on this, Thomas. And it would be cool to, we could do a whole episode, I think, on on hydrogen fuel cells and hydrogen. But um, we should. We, we should. But I don't want to dive into that rabbit hole too far. So, Jason, how do you think Toyota ranks amongst the other car automakers? Yeah, I mean, we're obviously harping on Toyota pretty hard, and 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 for good reason. But there's a lot of other automakers that have, you know, come late and dragged their feet as well. And you know, I was talking about Influence Map earlier, and their report that they just released on the automotive sector is is fascinating. And you know, the executive summary is really the only car makers that are you know, kind of in the realm of acceptable when it comes to climate policy are Tesla, not surprisingly, and, and Volkswagen. Tesla gets a, a B, they rate Volkswagen a C, and then you've got Ford and GM in like a C minus category. So, you know, when you look beyond those four automakers, really the rest are in the D plus category. And that includes the other Japanese major auto manufacturers, Honda and Nissan, and then you've got the rest of, you know, the German auto manufacturers and, and Stellantis. And again, you know, Toyota at the very bottom of that list. So Toyota is the worst for sure, but there are other auto manufacturers that have been, you know, obstructing climate policy as well. Where in the hell are the Australian automakers on here? What is, what is that, Voxel? Uh, who, who, who is that? Oh, sort of. So they, they used to be partners with uh, Holden Motors under the General Motors banner, but they've shut all the manufacturing down here now. We were a little slow to adapt. We were still making monstrous V8 powered, you know, vehicles that nobody really wanted to buy anymore. And we couldn't understand why. But anyway, the world's moved on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess maybe the opposite of your question, Todd, which is worth asking is like, are there manufacturers who are kind of leaders, right? And Tesla is an obvious one, whether or not you're a fan of Elon Musk, and I, I can't say I am. But, uh, you know, I think, Thomas, hasn't Volvo done some good things as well? I mean, I, both Tesla and Volvo feel like they're definitely in the more leading than lagging category. Yeah, I, I think you take, well, Volvo's focus with its Polestar brand. Um, they've worked really hard to try and make that as a, environmentally responsible electric vehicle as possible and they've you know moved their facilities operations to running on renewable energy and you know, trying to use um, recycled product wherever possible in the manufacturing of the vehicles i do have a bit of a beef for the fact that their uh, car's electricity consumption compared to a tesla is uh you know quite a bit higher so that means that you've got to have larger battery packs and so forth to travel the same distance, which all has a uh, environmental footprint associated with it. But no, they're definitely of all the car manufacturers beyond Tesla, um, that they're, they're the one probably taking the the greatest step in the right direction. Yeah. So, what do we do to get sort of the rest of the pack here up to speed as far as these automakers go in moving to you know to electric vehicles? You know. Thomas, I'll be interested to hear your perspective here. For me, I think one of the key pieces is is having these phase-out dates for internal combustion engines. So, you know, Europe was able to put in a 2035 date when they're saying no more, you know, internal combustion engines will be sold after that. Uh, it made a huge difference 
speaking of, of Toyota in terms of their, their forecast. So you look at the United States, we don't have a, a phase out date yet. Europe does. And Toyota's uh, EV forecast for 2029, so not that far away, they're forecasting that they'll be selling 50% of their vehicles as battery electric into Europe and only 3% in the US. Now, I, I don't know if there's, you know, there's other elements that that impact that, but it seems to me like having these these phase out dates are really the best way to, you know, turn the screws on the automakers. Yeah, I, I think to add to that, companies like Tesla need to continue to make vehicles that are more compelling than the internal combustion equivalents. Um, it, because ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, when people go and purchase uh, a new vehicle, they're thinking about a lot of different factors. And one of them is like, well, what are the long-term operating costs of this vehicle? And so if you can operate uh, a Tesla for you know, one-eighth the cost of an equivalent petrol-powered or gasoline-powered vehicle, it's, it's really tough at the same price point to think that people would make any choice but go battery electric. Um, so I, it's absolutely up to companies like Tesla to just keep the foot to the floor and keep developing vehicles that are so much more compelling that by 2030, there's no reason that anyone would be purchasing an internal combustion vehicle. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and I mean, you you also made a point earlier, which I guess I wanted to call out, which I think is important too, which is, you know, step one is get these companies to stop lobbying against climate policy. Mm-hmm. Step two is to get them to accelerate, you know, their production of electric vehicles. And then step three, which I think we're going to be faced with sooner than we think, and you talked about, Thomas, is we need to be making EVs that are highly efficient because we only have so many resources in the world. And as we get more and more people, you know, driving cars, we can't afford to have these, you know, massive vehicles going down the road that are highly inefficient. We just don't have the resources. Yeah. Which also ties into another point. Do we really need all these people in vehicles? You look at the way towns are designed and, you know, public transit is set up. Like how can you give people, especially with electric bikes and all these other last mile modes of transport that are coming on the market now, how can you make that more accessible uh, and safer to use so that people don't need a vehicle or they don't need that second car in their family? So Jason, to kind of tie everything together, what can we do, you know, at our level to, to help impact this issue? Todd, I'm so glad you, uh, you asked that question for this week. What what uh, what we want to do is to ask folks in the U.S. to look up and see whether their state is one of the twelve states that are pushing for a, a national phase out of internal combustion engines. So take a look. If your state's on the list, you're good to go. If your state's not on the list, send a note to your representative and and tell them that you know you want them to join the list. Well, that's a wrap for uh, this week's short. Come back next week. We'll be back to full episodes. We have an interview where we'll be digging into the topic of overpopulation. Climate Optimus is made possible by Climate Stewards Collective. You can find us on the web at climateoptimist.co. And don't forget to follow us on social at Climate Optimist Podcast. Mm-hmm.